18 through 25. For I consider that the sufferings of, of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation had been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. I have the pleasure of introducing our guest preacher today, um, Pastor Danny Morgan. He is um, a husband to Jace, his wife, who we adore, um, a father to Shepherd. Uh, he's an associate pastor at Redeemer OC, and he's also one of our really dear friends. Um, we're really grateful to have him. And if I could just think of like one thing that comes to mind when I think of Danny, He's a man who really cares deeply about God's word, but he also cares very deeply about being a man of the word. So I know we're going to be so blessed by what he has to share. So thank you, Danny, for being here. Well, when the Baptists invite the Presbyterians to come preach, there's a lot of pressure. So I always joke that Chris Pobletti is the most Presbyterian Baptist I know. So I feel at home. Uh, let me pray for you and we'll open God's word. Oh Lord, we come to you um, asking that you would open our minds, open our ears. Bless those who hear what your spirit says to the churches. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. After decades of war devastating the lives of thousands, imminent defeat was on the horizon. But a small platoon of soldiers was hidden away in a bunker in a foreign land, but no help was coming their way. Their death was all but certain, and as they're hunkered in this bunker, cries of fear and panic began to fill the space, and everything seemed lost until their army general stood and said to them all, Hope is like the sun. If you only believe in it when you can see it, you'll never make it through the night. And when this story was being retold, it was put like this. Maybe you know where I'm going with this. Only General Leia Organa's band of resistance fighters stand against the rise of tyranny certain that the Jedi Master Luke Skywalker will return and restore a spark of hope to the fight. And I use this silly illustration, but it embodies hope so well. Because hope is one of the most powerful virtues that humanity can have. Because without hope, nobody can make it through the night. But hope is a perplexing concept, isn't it? By definition, hope is 
the anticipation or the waiting for something that actually hasn't happened yet. The nature of hope, however, while it's forward-looking, it actually has to be rooted in something either present or past for it actually to be real hope. While many people have hope in any number of things, when it's not grounded and rooted in truth, it really isn't hope at all. And it's certainly not biblical hope. Take, take this example. Um, if I, me, um, hope that one day I could aspire to be a professional baseball player, you might think, that's a cool dream for a, a kid, right? Or maybe somebody who's practicing and has some scouts looking potentially at them and is working hard, right? None of which I'm currently doing. So if I shared with you, hey, I've, I think one of my biggest aspirations and hopes is to play baseball, and you found this out about me, you'd be like, um, Danny, I, I think you're delusional. I don't think this is a real hope. You should not place your hope in this. You definitely shouldn't plan on uh, supporting your family this way, right? It'd be delusional. It's not rooted in anything legitimate. And I'm never going to see this hope realized, right? But if I said, I hope that my wife will love me until the day that I die, well, that becomes a deep and sweet hope, doesn't it? Because unlike my delusion of professional baseball, my hope for my wife's love is rooted in something. It's rooted in the vows we took when we were married. It's rooted in the vows we made to each other, to our Lord, before our family and friends. See, hope that's not grounded or rooted in present and past is no hope at all, but it's simply wishful thinking. And more than that, hope that's not deeply rooted in truth is really no hope at all. And hope feels like it can be hard to come by, right? In the midst of, pick any number of things, political division, social distress, pandemonium, war, pain, suffering, grief, loss, hope easily finds itself in short supply. But only because we're hoping not only in the wrong things, maybe even in the wrong way. If hope is a tree, we may be trying to plant that tree in brittle, dry, sandy soil. Or for building a house, we might be trying to build it on a weak, brittle foundation. And we can find ourselves feeling hopeless when there is a lacking groundedness and rootedness in our lives that is not laid on the thick foundation of God's word. So hope is forward-looking. It anticipates the fulfillment of truth, the realization of truth. Or even better than that, it looks to the realization of a promise made. The hope is forward-looking. Why would we have any care about it? Today, why, why should it matter? Why ought we to be concerned with it at all? What does it do for me right now? Does, 
Does it do anything at all, or should I just forget about it altogether? Well, I think God's word has a lot to say about this. Um, If you'll open up Romans chapter 8 with me, beginning in verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The first thing that we see about hope in this passage is that hope in future glory outweighs present suffering. Meaning that the hope we have in God is far greater than any present pain that we could experience. This is mind-boggling. This is crazy. Because you know life. You know life is painful. and Life is difficult. Sometimes life's just not fair. You know that we live and suffering is a part of this. And the really hard truth is that um, some of you, all of us, all of us at some point experience the deep, deep suffering that sin brought into the world. And one of the hardest things about suffering is that it's one of the only aspects of the Christian life that you have to learn by going through it. There's no amount of study, no amount of books, no amount of podcasts, no amount of preaching, preachers that you could listen to, that could teach you what it means to suffer and have hope. You have to go through it. I remember when I was in seminary, reading about suffering and pain and trying to get a grasp on this intellectually doesn't make any sense to us whatsoever, and I don't think it's supposed to. And um, trying to get my mind around this because one day the storm's going to come and I was going to suffer well and come through on the other side until really challenging stuff comes your way. Until the chronic pain doesn't leave, until the sickness is just there, until the loss just hangs around. Nothing could prepare me for that. Nothing can prepare you for that. And you've experienced this certainly, and you know people who are, and it's normal that we feel sometimes hopeless, angry, misunderstood. So what Paul does here and what Scripture is saying is that To live is to suffer, right, but because suffering is the result of sin coming into the world. And when sin comes into the world, it messes everything up. It causes this pain, and it causes the pain in others' lives, and it separates us from from our Creator, and it takes us out of union with Him, and it divides us from each other. It puts us at war with our spouses, with our kids, with our coworkers, with our neighbors, and most of all, with God then brings pain into our life. And yet, 
despite all of this, Paul says, I consider that the suffering happening right now is nothing compared to the glory that we hope in. Not even just that, Paul says, it's not worth comparing the current situation to the future glory. Or sin, or sin's damning presence will be undone in that future day. As the suffering we know now. Nothing. How could anyone say that? How could anyone say it's nothing? It hurts so bad. The only way this is possible is if that future glory is far, far, far beyond your wildest expectations and anything that you could ever imagine. How incredible does future glory have to be for you to forget about sin's curse now? How marvelous does spending eternity with Christ, living within the glory of God, have to be to make the pain and sadness of this life disappear? The only way that's possible is if there's rootedness and groundedness in an unchanging, unshakable, eternal God who has promised to save and redeem those whom he has called into union with himself. And for those of you who have faith, that promise is for you. For you. That Jesus is undoing the darkness. That he's undoing the pain somehow. So much so that when you're there, you won't remember a thing. But there's this terrible tension that we find ourselves in. Because we can say a number of things, but one of which could be, well, if that's the reality and it's so fantastic, then it must not matter now. It must be meaningless. I must just overlook it. Pain is, is fake. Suffering isn't real. And we should just put on a, a pretend happy face and move on. But that's not what God says. Paul says elsewhere in 2 Corinthians 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. So Christians don't minimize the suffering. It's real. Terribly real. Somehow, Paul is saying, you see future glory and know what's coming your way, and yet you live in the tension, in the space in between, right now, where you still are experiencing sin's curse, but you have hope, what do you do? You look to the God of all comfort. 
As Christians, you are called to step into the spaces where others are experiencing suffering. And you share that comfort that you were shown. This is why Christianity is an, such an empathetic religion. And the heart of Jesus is for sinners and sufferers. His heart is gentle and lowly. You see, we don't avoid pain and suffering and tell people, you know, the worst advice, right? Pain and suffering. Forget about it. God's coming back. Like, that would be just dumb of you to say, right? No, Christians just sit in silence with people. Pray over people. Pray for people. Read scripture with people. When Jesus sat with sinners and those suffering, not saying a lot. He's usually holding them in their presence. This is the heart of Jesus. This is the heart of Jesus. God of all comfort. And more than that, when we, we suffer, we know that Christ suffered on our behalf. For the cross is the ultimate place of suffering. Taking on the wrath of God in our place so that we could be made right with him. When the pain of this life comes and you, you know it, it comes and it's here and we ask questions like, where, where is God? Where is God in all of this? Which is totally normal. Don't look to re- arguments and rationalizing arguments and philosophers. No, look to Jesus, the suffering servant, the man of sorrows who took on all of God's wrath, all the pain and suffering that you could ever imagine for your sake so that you could know him, friend. You look to Jesus. You look to God himself who suffered for us so that we could be brought close to him. Friend, Jesus knows pain. Friend, Jesus knows your pain. And just like when your kid falls down and I have a baby, so when he falls, I could have dropped him, which is bad. Um, but they cry on the ground and... Um, like when you, you go down and you pick them up when they fall, right? And you comfort them. You go down to, on their level, you look them in the eye, you see their skin knee, you, you come to them. That's what God does to us. Comes down to us, picks us up. Gets on our level. He identifies with our pain. The hope matters right now because it helps us make sense of all of this somehow. And it looks to a day where there will no longer be pain or sadness, but only joy in the glory of God. For this is God's very promise to you. And the thing that's just marvelous to me about this and why this matters for us so much is... The second thing we see in this passage, 19 through 22, those who have faith in Jesus are no longer 
bound to sin, slaves to sin, but are free, actually free. If you zero in on verse 21, the, the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now, the text says that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage of corruption and given and be given freedom of the glory of, of the children of God, which is his people, his church. What we see is when we were dead in our sin, we were bound to it. We were slaves to it. For the curse of Adam left us helpless to atone for the demands of God's law. We're hopeless without a redeemer. And so we are fixated on Christ and Christ alone, our perfect righteousness bestowed upon us freely by grace. So biblical hope says, the future glory that's coming to me one day, that's promised to me by God, it is lived out in each moment of every day by this constant return to Jesus for forgiveness. The bondage to sin and corruption is no more for those who are in Christ, for it is no longer your master. So living in hope each and every day is allowing Christ to put sin to death in you. You grow in grace by the power of his Holy Spirit. You constantly run to a forgiver whose forgiveness cannot end. Your ability to sin cannot outpace God's ability to forgive you, friend. He becomes our righteousness. So what this freedom in him allows us to do is it allows us to actually be forward-looking. Rather than looking down at ourselves and saying, well, this is, this is all there is. This is the best I got. I'm going to be trapped here forever, stuck in this cycle of sin. How am I going to get out of this? The freedom from sin and the ability to run to the forgiver gives us the forward view into an eternal hope. It unshackles you from the past. It unshackles you from the suffering, from the sin. Because it is rooted in the truth that Christ removes both sin and God's anger towards sin away from us and put it on to Jesus, the suffering servant. The hope is rooted in the truth that Christ alone fulfills all righteousness on your behalf. And hope is in the future, what we call the glorification or the undoing of all of this sin where our bodies will be resurrected and will be fully acknowledged before all of humanity and God will say, this is my son, this is my daughter whose Christ's blood has covered. They are welcome into my kingdom on account of him. And this is, friend, this is real. Grounded and rooted in God's promise and the fulfillment of this promise because of the past work of the cross. There is no wishful thinking in the gospel. There is just true hope rooted in a man born of the Virgin Mary, conceived by the Holy Spirit, suffering under Pontius Pilate, crucified, dead, and buried. On the third day, he rose again. That 
is hope, friend. Verse 23 through 24, Paul says the third thing that we can learn about hope is that it is rooted in the promise of God to glorify those who are his children. Scripture tells us that Jesus will have come to earth two times within history. The first is we celebrate at Christmas, and the next is has not happened. He will come again in bodily form. He will usher in those whom he has chosen for his kingdom, dead or alive, and he will usher them into this glorious new heaven and new earth for all of eternity with him and all the saints. We call this the resurrection of the body. You know this. You've been studying Revelation. It's this crazy thing that we believe, but God promises for us. And our bodies, when they perish, will be united with, are still united with Christ while they rest in their grave and will be resurrected to new life. Our bodies will be redeemed and we'll live in glory with God and all of his adopted children. You see, biblical hope is real because it's rooted in truth, fulfilled in the past, and it looks to this future promise. The only way you can believe that is if Jesus gets out of the tomb, as if Jesus suffers and dies on the cross, as if the disciples put their fingers in his wounds. So we have hope that is grounded in truth, in a real glory, in a, in a real way that it's coming. And we know this because our hope is in a real Savior, friend. Christ was crucified for you and is now seated at the right hand of the Father, advocating for you, interceding for you. When he returns, he will come for you who have faith in him. He is a promise-keeping God. I don't think he's going to fail to deliver on that promise. And quickly, just as the last thing we see about hope, verse 24 and 25, for in this hope we were saved. Hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. The last thing that we see is this hope that we have, we have it in part, but we patiently and eagerly long for the rest of the promise. Just like one day at a time, we are called to faithfully return to God for forgiveness. We moment by moment wait with patience for the realization of the hope that he has promised to give us. Where it's actually realized the continued fulfillment of this promise. The sun will rise. I've seen it before. It will rise again. This is essentially what Paul is saying right here. But we wait for it. Sit 
and long for the day when this glory will be right in front of us. And being patient is difficult. This is why Paul says we ourselves groan for it. We long for it. The word that Paul's using here is like it's childbirth from Isaiah 42. It's, it's painful. It's long-suffering. Christians can get through anything. Somehow, I, I just it never ceases to amaze me. Christians can get through anything. Because we have a taste of redemption in Christ right now. Jesus comes to you in his word. Jesus comes to you in, in the supper. Jesus is, is, is really here in these ways. We have a taste of it now. We know a fraction of what's to come, but it's hard to wait for the real thing, the whole thing. So friend, hope, hope from Paul is, is, and from the Bible and from what Jesus is saying is, is laid before you. Hope in something and hope, hope for you that it's for today, for right now. Hope in Christ, in Christ alone. Hope in his atoning work on your behalf. Hope in his promises. Hope in his never-ending love for you. Hope in the resurrection of the body one day. Hope in the ending of suffering, pain, and sadness. Hope in the new heaven and the new earth. Hope that all of God's people will inherit the reward that he has achieved for us through his son and sealed within his saints by his spirit. We have an eternal, never-ending, never-changing hope. The work of salvation that began in you through Jesus is coming. Philippians 1, 6, the work he began in you, he will bring it to completion. Hebrews 12, the author and perfecter of your faith, he will not leave you or forsake you. Matthew 28. This is real. Somehow it's real. So as we navigate this life, we live in this tension. What do we do? We step into the spaces of those around us who are feeling utterly hopeless and often for good reason. We be Jesus to them. We look to Jesus, our suffering servant. This meal that we're going to take after this should point you to the suffering servant crucified for you. And we show this to others. When we were dead in our sins and hopeless, now we are alive full of hope, being called to day by day be reminded of this as we constantly return to a forgiver whose forgiveness never runs dry. We patiently and eagerly wait for this to be fully realized, for we have a taste of it now. 
and it's getting closer and closer with each and every day. It's coming back soon, he says, Revelation 1. When you take this meal, when you hear God's word preached, you look to the day where God will be right in front of your face. Be in the presence of God in all glory. You'll be at the wedding feast, the marriage feast, the final feast with all the saints. Good food, good drink, no pain, no suffering. And somehow, that outweighs pain of now. So I hope that you can hear this and be encouraged somehow. For while the race is long, the reward that Christ has achieved for you, that he has earned for you, is sweet. He gives it to you freely on his account alone. See Jesus, friend. The world's one and only true hope. We pray for you, O Lord. We long for a day where there is no more of sin's curse that touches our lives. We long for a day where we are standing in your presence at this final feast, O Lord. Give us wisdom and understanding in this life now, somehow, as we navigate the pain and difficulties that we don't have answers for, don't need answers for, don't need to pretend like we do, but, oh Lord, you you somehow hold your people until the day of redemption. Would you hold each of us? Oh Lord, come quickly. I pray this in the name of God the Father, Jesus his Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you'd come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.